third Sunday of Advent, you know, for our family, we, we track through Advent by first lighting, let me light these, by first lighting the promise candle, and uh, that promise candle reminds us that uh, God promised that He would send our Savior and Lord. And the second candle we talk about in our family is the prepare candle, because if you believe the promises, then what do you do? The proof that you are claiming God's promises is that you prepare your life for His coming. You know, words are cheap, and anybody can say they believe anything, and many do. But the real evidence that you're prepared for the coming of Christ, or you're believing the promises of the Bible of the coming of Christ, is that you live a prepared life. And certainly as I reflected on um, Randy's life, it was just such an encouragement to me to think, wow, you know, this guy, he did everything that he needed to do. Now I know he's not sinless and perfect, and, and I'm sure uh, uh, his family could say, uh, you know, all about his weaknesses and those kind of things. We all know that because we, we know one another and we're real with one another. But uh, really, as I thought about that, he's uh, trained his girls, his son, he's loved his wife, he served his church. The man was ready, and he is ready. Now he's going to be more ready to uh, finish the rest of his life as I know that uh, God will sustain him. But if we really prepared, if we're really prepared, and if we really believe these promises, then the candle that we're lighting today is the uh, proclamation candle. And uh, really, that's how we prepare others. Uh, if we really believe these promises, then we're going to proclaim. And so as, uh, as we look at Randy's life and think about being prepared, I hope you're as prepared as he is because just like he on a, uh, an errand to pick up barbecue for an office meeting, he uh, came uh, this close to uh, standing before God and giving an account for his life. And that could happen to any of us. And of course, it could happen even to a kindergarten, uh, kindergarten, kindergarten kid. So as I think about this, and you read different people's responses to these things, it's just a great reminder that, you know, the answer is not in uh, gun control or political agendas or any of that. Uh, I don't care what you believe on that. That's not the answer. The answer is the proclamation of the gospel. The answer is what I've been reading in my uh, Advent devotions. Uh, I think I've, I've to I told you last week going through, uh, going through uh, Isaiah, there's an app you can get, Advent app, if you go on uh, uh, my Facebook page, you can see those links. But here's what it was last Thursday. So uh, as I tried to process the, uh, what was going on in Randy's life, going on uh, with my friend and, and co-labor about his family, I, on Thursday, here's what I read from Isaiah 9. Um, and this is what I claim for uh, Hannah and for uh, Noella and for Corey and for Esther and for Randy. And here is what it said. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever." The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You think about those four aspects of God's character, that He's a wonderful counselor. You know, in times like this, what, what uh, Randy's family and what our nation is going through, we need the wisdom of God Almighty. 
And uh, we need to stop before we offer our opinions and our ideas and say, God, may you be the wonderful counselor that brings wisdom and your perspective. Mighty God, you know, if, if, if uh, Randy's going to breathe on his own, Randy's life is spared, it's because we have a mighty God who can raise the dead, who can restore life, who can reverse processes of death. Amen? And then an everlasting Father. What a reminder to all of us, whether it's our kids or our parents, our church members, our, our established relationships. Look around you. None of us are forever. There's only one who is eternal. And if you do not have the eternal life that's found in God Almighty, then He's our everlasting Father. As great as our earthly fathers are, none of them are permanent, and none of them can substitute for the everlasting Father. What a great comfort uh, to these families at this time who have, who have suffered great loss. And then obviously the Prince of Peace. That's what we're looking for and long, longing for. Now what's interesting is, uh, is then uh, this week... Uh, the or today actually what I read is I thought about uh, thought about this fam, uh, what are the passage in Isaiah where the lion will lie it down with the lamb, amen. And uh, so we're looking for peace. We're looking for peace, and we're, we're our country doesn't know where to look. And and the irony is this: we've created the mess that we're now suffering. We've uh, turned our backs on God, and we've uh, removed His standards, His ethics, His truth from our public marketplace and chaos reigns but the prince of peace is coming and it's our job to proclaim that truth amen and proclaim it through whatever means through technology through our life through our walk and so uh, let's go to the lord in prayer and uh and then Randy, uh, or, uh, kirk is going to come and lead us in O come all ye faithful what a great hymn and carol at this time let's pray father we come we come with grieving hearts, with uh, with hurt, and with uh, and yet with hope and, and 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 comfort that you are our wonderful counselor. You are the mighty God that can reverse that which is our enemy. You are our ever everlasting Father that can come into the deepest parts of our heart and bring comfort and hope and encouragement. And Father, you are the Prince of Peace who ultimately will come and establish your rule and overcome our greatest enemy, which is death and the curse of death and the power of death that is in Satan's hands. Lord, we know that you will overrule and overcome, and we look forward to the hope of the resurrection. We pray that you would raise up uh, Randy. We thank you for uh, sovereignly overlooking the details of this event and know that your purposes are being accomplished. We pray that you would encourage Esther, Jackie, Hannah, Noella, Corey, our church family, as we go through this time and walk through him, walk with this, through this with him. And I pray, Lord, that uh, he will breathe on his own and there will be minimal to zero damage and that he will renew and walk and minister and be with us again. We pray for our nation, for for the people in Connecticut, and I especially pray, Lord, for the professional uh, people, the, the, the doctors, the pastors, the police officers who have had to go right into this horrible scene and are having to deal with the human, emotional, relational damage that will last for years. And I pray, Lord, that 
men of God and women of God and children of God will stand up, proclaim and offer love and hope and comfort and truth, and that, Lord, the gospel will be proclaimed and you will be exalted. And in this, people will run to you and run to the cross to heal their hurt and to make sense of what makes no sense apart from you. And so, Father, we unite our hearts and minds and rededicate ourselves to once again proclaim the hope of the gospel and the power and the love of your Son, Jesus Christ. As we sing, O come all ye faithful, I pray that we would be faithful, we would renew, we would be prepared as our brother in Christ was, and that we would be prepared to meet you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Let me uh, introduce you to one of my favorite, if not my favorite, Olympic stories. So, Vicki, if you get those lights, I want you to look at this video to uh, start us off today. At the 1968 Mexico City Marathon, three men earned the right to stand on the victory platform the winners of the gold, silver, and bronze Olympic medals. But for some, the reward is a personal one, the knowledge that they finished what they set out to do. A little over an hour after the winner of the marathon crossed the finish line, John Stephen Aquari of Tanzania approaches the stadium, the last man to complete the journey. A voice calls from within to go on, and so he goes on. watching that and when he walks into that stadium they had to turn the lights back on once they knew what he was doing and and to hear that there's just that bright light that he's walking into and then that crowd you hear and there wasn't it wasn't a crowd because there won't nearly everybody had left but you hear them cheering in that and I just can't help it but picture myself crossing the 
the finish line of my faith, and, and uh, I, I, I may be battered, and, and I may be hurt, and I may be wounded, but, but I'm going to finish, and, and how Christ will be there, that light of uh, His glory, not some indescribable light that people have weird experiences with. We're talking about God's eternal glory and to have the faithful from Hebrews 11 cheering us on. Now, that's what's waiting us if we'll finish. Amen? And that's what we're talking about uh, this this last two weeks as we look at finishing strong. Uh, As he says, my country didn't send me uh, actually, the literal quote, because uh, the 5,000 miles isn't what he said. And this is what happens a lot with quotes. Uh, my country did not send me to Mexico to start the race. They sent me to Mexico to finish the race. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ didn't save you and uh, send you on his mission for you to quit. He sent you on his mission to finish the race. And I can't help but think of these verses of the Apostle Paul, whom we are studying today and last week. And here's what he said before he went to Jerusalem. Remember, he's writing Colossians from in prison. Well, this is what he said before he went to Jerusalem, before he was arrested, before he entered prison. Here's what he said before the event. We talked about being prepared. Here's was his commitment. Acts 20 22 through 24. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit is leading me, controlling my actions, my directions in life, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only, if only, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, what I am walking away as we look at our last lesson in making your mark for eternity and fulfilling your ministry, I'm walking away with a newfound understanding and seeing it in different places in Scripture, that fulfilling your ministry is a high priority for the Lord for every one of His children, for every one of His sons and daughters, for every one of us here. Fulfilling your ministry. Now, I know some of you are, 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 you know, some of us are just starting our ministry. Some of us are in it. Some of us are contemplating quitting. Some of you are on the sidelines and have been there for a long time. Some of you are in the race. And, you know, by the way, his knee was dislocated. That's what was wrong with his knee. Can you imagine that? Oh, my gosh, I can't imagine persevering through it, but he did. Well, that's what Paul said before he went to prison. Now, in 2 Timothy 4 that we're going to be looking at and looked at last week, here's what he says after his second imprisonment, when he's down in this pit, He knows that he's going to be executed for the faith. And here's what he writes in 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all, to all who have loved his appearing. Wow. So here he is before the crisis. Here he is at the end of the crisis when it's at its darkest moment and he's saying the same thing. I want to fulfill my ministry. I want to finish my race. Here's a guy that's finishing strong. And so look in your notes. Here's what we asked 
How did Paul make his mark as the apostle to the Gentiles? We've looked at these different personalities, different people in Colossians 4. And here's the answer. He persevered in finding strength in the Lord through his word. He persevered in finding strength in the Lord through his word to finish strong for the Lord by fulfilling his ministry from the Lord. Now, I know that is repetitive, but I did it on purpose because it's all about the Lord. I find strength in the Lord through the word of the Lord to finish strong for the Lord by fulfilling my ministry from the Lord. There's a purpose statement for your life. Now, he goes on to say in 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 22, he tells us, that's the, or let me, let me put it this way. That's the passage. Uh, uh, go ahead and turn to that. 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 22. These are his last words. And it's in this passage that you see how did he finish strong. And there's really two key principles. He found strength in the Lord, and he found strength in the Lord through his word. And as you see that, we're going to draw that out. So let's read the passage, and, and we'll get an overview of it. 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 22. Again, in verses 6 through 8, he just told us, I'm finishing strong. Now he's going to tell us how he did it. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. And here's the key where he found his strength in the Lord from. Also the books and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. God will take care of him. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. I, I have a forgiving heart. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. See, what God's more concerned about than yours and mine happiness and safety and carefree living is getting the message out through us. And he'll take us really through almost anything to prepare our hearts to proclaim that message. I can guarantee you, Randy, well, he's already a, a, a vibrant proclaimer of the gospel. He will be more so. He will be more so, and even through this, the gospel is proclaimed. Now, notice he says, But the Lord stood with me, strengthened me, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth, literally. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, he goes on. And he greets Priscilla and Aquila in the household of Anesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth. I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Puddins and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. Now, here's his last words, Paul's last words. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Now, there's two things you get out of that. You finish strong by finding your strength in the Lord through His Word. So let's look at that. Paul finished strong by finding strength in the Lord. The Lord strengthened me. Listen, you ultimately cannot depend on other people as your support, as your life support. You cannot depend on, 
on children and parents and grandparents and pastors and teachers and friends. You cannot depend. Ultimately, all will let you down, whether they mean to or not. They, we let each other down because we're made of dust. But he found strength in the Lord. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. That's true for every one of us if we will turn to him and find our strength in him. But here's what I want you to see. That Paul's ability to finish strong and fulfill his ministry from the Lord was a gift of God's grace. It was a gift of God's grace that he found strength in the Lord. That's why Paul started every letter. You know how he started every letter? Every letter of Paul starts, and there's 13 of them, and I double-checked this week to make sure what I'm saying is true. Every letter begins with grace to you. Once he does all the preliminary talk, the first thing that he says every time is grace to you, and he finishes every letter, every letter except the ending of Romans is slightly different, but it's still there, Grace be with you. Now think about this. He enters in with grace, and then as he leaves them, he says, I'm gonna le- I, I want God to leave his grace with you. It's grace from beginning to end. Now here's why he started and finished every letter. According to uh, John Piper in his book, Future Grace, he says this. At the beginning of his letters, Paul has in mind that the letter itself is a channel of God's grace to the readers. Grace is about to flow from God through Paul's writing to the Christians. So he says, grace to you. That is, grace is now active and about to flow from God through my inspired writing to you as you read. Grace be to you. But as the end of the letter approaches, Paul realizes that the reading is almost finished and the question arises, what becomes of the grace that has been flowing to the readers through the reading of the inspired letter from God? He answers with a blessing at the end of every letter, grace be with you, with you as you put the letter away and leave the church, with you as you go home to deal with a sick child and an unaffectionate spouse with you as you go to work and face the temptations of anger and dishonesty and lust, with you as you muster courage to speak up for Christ over lunch. Thus we learn that grace is ready to flow to us every time we take up the inspired scriptures to read them. And we learn that grace will abide with us when we lay the Bible down and go about our daily Living Now, when you think about this, that's awesome. And it combines these two things that I want you to walk away with today, and that's this. You find strength in the Lord through His Word as He imparts His grace to you. So what that means is if you're not in the Word and you're not turning to the Lord for your strength, you're not going to finish strong. You're not going to resist temptation. You're not going to have the joy of the Lord in spite of your circumstances. And you're going to wonder what's wrong with the Christian life when, in fact, it's because we're not finding our strength in the Lord. Now, think about this for Paul. His first words, which I believe come in the book of Galatians, some think First Thessalonians, it doesn't matter, because his first words were grace to you. His last words come in 2 Timothy 4.22, the Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you. So he began his life, his Christian life, he ends his Christian life with grace. That's amazing. What is grace? 
Okay, we're talking about grace, 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 grace. Do you know, how would you define it? Do you have a simple definition? Do you have a motivating definition, a biblical definition? Let me help you. Here it is. Grace is a gift from God in Christ by the Spirit. It's all a Trinitarian work of God. It's a gift from God, so you have to receive it. In Christ, you have to be in Christ. It's by the Spirit, not your power, that we don't deserve and we can never earn. Well, what is that gift? It is the power and desire to do whatever pleases God for Christ's glory, our good, and the joy of all peoples. It's the power and desire to do whatever pleases God. Now, there's a couple verses that I like to use to support that definition. They don't use the word grace, but that's all right. They have the concept. They, they define it. They describe grace without using the word. One is Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved... As you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, here's why we're to work out what God is working in. Verse 13, for as God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Think about this. God works in you both to will it and to work it, both to desire it and to do it. The want to and the actual doing of it is a work that God accomplishes in you. Which is encouraging and convicting. Encouraging because it means I can do whatever God's calling me to do. Convicting because I don't have the excuse anymore to say I can't do it. Because the answer is what? You're right. You can't do it. But he can through his grace. Now... How did Paul learn to live and die by grace? What taught Paul this principle? Did he come to class, fill in his notes, listen good? Well, yes, he he did listen to the word of God. He did listen to those things. But you know how he really taught him to live by grace? By allowing suffering and hard times to enter into his life. Listen to 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. He had a thorn in the flesh. He had something that he wanted removed, something that hindered him, something that weakened him, something that made living for God difficult for him. And God said, I'm leaving it right there in place because I want you to learn to find your strength in me. This is why he told Timothy, listen to what he tells Timothy. In 2 Timothy, he says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses in trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also share in suffering as a good soldier. That's how you learn to live by grace. You go through suffering. I wouldn't wish what has happened to Randy on Randy or on me or on you or on these families in Connecticut. No one prays for that. But when it comes... We can rejoice that it's an opportunity in God's grace to learn that His grace is sufficient in the deepest, darkest pits of life. And we can go through those pits with Him or without Him. We can do it in the power of the flesh or we can do it in the power of the Spirit. Paul's ability to finish strong and fulfill his ministry from the Lord was a gift of grace. But how did he get that grace? You know, did he just kind of hum and examine his navel? Did he uh, meditate? Did he, what did he do? Did he do yoga? 
Did he get self-help books? What did he do? Paul finished strong by receiving his strength through the word. He found his strength in the Lord. He received that strength through the word. And so I want you to see 2 Timothy 4.13. Look again in your Bible, 2 Timothy 4.13. You see, it's easy to read 2 Timothy 4 and see, man, the Lord stood by me. Don't you kind of picture this? you know, this glowing figure by him. You, you, you picture this supernatural, spiritual thing that's way out the realm of your experience. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. He rescued me from the, the mouth of the lion. You know, he, he will deliver me from every, every evil deed. Man, that's way out there. That's not me. But you know, you know how he did that? You know how the Lord, what he did that through? He did it through his word. Look at verse 13. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchment. He's saying, look, I need the word of God. That's God's means of imparting his grace to me. And I'm down in this pit. I'm freezing. I'm facing death. And I'm not going to allow those circumstances to separate me from the word of God, no matter how hard my circumstances are. Well, what were the books and the parchments? Uh, the books, it says books in our English translations, they were scrolls made of papyrus, you know, the paper of that day. So they were literally scrolls made of papyrus paper. The parchments, though, he says especially the parchments, those were the most expensive things you could write on in that day. Vellum made of animal skins so that it lasted longer than the papyrus that could deteriorate. Highly expensive only used for the most important of documents. Now, we do not know what's on those, but we know the life of Paul, and we know what, what flowed out of him. We know what he fed on. What do you think the books and the parchments are? The Word of God. In fact, those parchments, that expensive vellum, were more than likely copies of his own letters that he wrote. I got a book this year, you know, every year I get a book budget from our church for which I'm so grateful and, and buy all sorts of books. But the best book I bought this, this year was a book about letter writing, Paul's letter writing in the New Testament. And you say, now that's kind of geeky and nerdy and weird. But when you think about it, listen, this is our, our, our New Testament was communicated this way. You know, hello, no internet, no tweeting, no digital communication. They wrote this out. And I, and I have learned so much that throw a light. For instance, most people did not write their own letters. That's why Paul did not write these out. He dictated them under the inspiration and someone copied them. That's why at the end of these letters, like in Colossians, he says, and I, Paul, in my own hand, write my greeting. That would be the only part he would actually write out. But also... Everybody, not just apostles or Christians, would keep copies of letters they wrote because you didn't have your backup computer, okay? And you didn't have, you weren't able to go back. So literally you would have this written out and then you'd say, make a copy of that and let me keep it. So when he's saying bring the books and the parchments, a large process, and this is at the end of his life, he's at least talking about at least the 13 letters that we have. But he wrote far more that God did not inspire and choose or choose to inspire and preserve. And so that's what he's feeding on. So he's feeding on copies 
in translations of the Old Testament scriptures, which Paul quoted. He had them in Hebrew. He had them in Greek. We know from how he quoted them. He has copies and portions of Christ's sayings. Remember, the Gospels are not yet fully written. So he's got copies and portions where, where, Paul, uh, where Peter or John wrote down, man, I remember when Jesus said this. And Paul uses those quotes in his writings. And then he's got l- copies of his letters to the churches. What is it that he's asking for? In other words, what Paul is asking for is all of the Bible that he had available to him at that time. I want God's Word. Now, what did Paul do with the Word once he got it? Well, again, in this passage in Timothy, we're not told exactly, but we can see from his letters and from his life and what he wrote, especially as we're going to look today in the book of, uh, uh, in the letter to the Colossians, we can see what he intended to do with the Old Testament, Christ's sayings, and his own letters. What did he intend to do? Number one, Paul read the Word for himself. Paul read the Word for himself. If you're going to find strength from the Lord to finish strong, you need to read the Word for yourself. Turn to Colossians 3.16. Turn back to Colossians 3.16. And I just want to take one phrase out of verse 16. And because Paul told others to do this under inspiration from God, I know that Paul himself did this. And here's what he says. In Colossians 3.16, he says simply this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Love that translation, love that wording. Literally, the idea of dwelling is a dwelling place like your home. Here's how you could paraphrase it. Here's what it means. Let God's word be at home in your heart. Let God's word be at home in your heart. This is the most basic reason why he asked for the books and the parchments. Paul read and fed on the word for his own spiritual nourishment. You got to get the picture. He's at the end of his life and he knows it. He's about to die and meet Jesus. Why spend time reading the word when you're going to see the word? Well, that's what we need to ask. Why? Because that's where he found his strength. If a Christ-called apostle did not exempt himself from needing to feed on the word for himself, should we? If, if, If a man at the end of his rope, literally in the pits, in this dark dungeon of a place, did not eliminate the need to feed on God's word, should we let our circumstances drive us away from the word of God? No, no, no. I like Top Gun. I feel the need, the need for speed, right? Well, what we need to say is I feel the need, the need to feed. So since you all need waking up, half of you look like you're, oh, it's a glorious thing to teach. Uh, okay, so the liven up here, turn to your neighbor and say, I feel the need, the need to feed. Uh, I feel the need, the need to feed. Now, do you, yeah, yeah. Do you feel that need? Do you feel that need? That's a good question. It's probably not a bad thing to say to yourself at the start of each day. If someone of Paul's spiritual maturity and Paul's physical circumstances 
still needed and desired to feed himself on God's word, then I need to as well, and all of my excuses are eliminated. And I have, I'm have i an excuse maker just like you. I can come up with all sorts of justifications and reasons. That's what our flesh does. It drives us away, and yet the spirit within us drives us to his word. Here's what John Calvin commented on this verse. It's evident from this that the apostle had not given over reading. reading. He had not given it up, though he was already preparing for death. Where are those who think that they have made so great progress that they do not need any more exercise, any effort to read? Which of them will dare compare himself with Paul? Still more does this expression refute the madness of those men who, despising books and condemning all reading, boast of nothing but their own divine inspirations. But let us know that this passage gives to all believers a recommendation of constant reading that they may profit by it. We need to feed ourselves on the word. You see, Paul not only told Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season, Paul told him, I will preach the word to myself in season and out of season. See, we like preach the word, pastor, in season, out of season. And what we say as pastors back to you is you read the word in season and out of season. That's what Paul did. That's what John the Apostle did. You ever read the first chapter of Revelation? Paul, uh, John, like Paul, is being uh, persecuted for his faith. He's been banished to this island of Patmos. And there it says, John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He worshiped the Lord. I believe that's referencing Sunday in spite of persecution, in spite of being alone, in spite of being discouraged or depressed. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and God revealed Christ in the book of Revelation to him. William Tyndale, a famous Christian in church history, was responsible for translating the very first Bible into English. And it ended up costing him his life, just like the Apostle Paul. And he, too, was betrayed and deserted and found himself in in, in jail. And here's what he says to those who were in control of his captivity. I beg your lordship that if I may remain here through the winter, you will request the commissary to have the kindness to send me from the goods of mine, which he has, a warmer coat. Also, for this which I have is very thin, a piece of cloth, and I also like a piece of cloth to patch my leggings. But most of all, I beg and beseech your clemency to be urgent with the commissary that he will kindly permit me to have the Hebrew Bible, Hebrew grammar, and Hebrew dictionary, that I may pass the time in that study. Look at my. All right, I'll, I, 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 I want you to bring me the word of God. I don't care. Don't find my Hebrew grammar. I don't even know where it is. Okay, so you don't need to bring that to me, but bring my Bible. Okay, I do want my Bible. Don't miss the point. If an inspired spokesman of the living God, a chosen apostle of the resurrected Lord, wanted to be reading and thinking at the end, then that's what we need to be doing. Listen. It's through the reading of God's word that we find strength and receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, do it. Second thing he did, Paul fed the word to others in ministry. So, we we feed ourselves, we read for ourselves so that we can feed others. 
Some of us need to step up in this idea of feeding the word of God to others. This is why he says in 1 Timothy 4 to Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. But it's not just pastors. Turn, I think you're still there in Colossians 3.16. Look at what flows out of feeding, reading the word for yourself. Look at Colossians 3.16 again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now here's what happens. Teaching and admonishing one another, not just pastors to the people, but us to one another, horizontally, right there at your table, to one another. This is why we've gathered today, not just to hear from our pastors, but to exhort one another with the word of God. And singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now turn over to Ephesians. In Ephesians 5. Turn over to Ephesians. Because while the ink was drying on Colossians, Paul is writing the letter to the Ephesians. That's why they're so similar. They're written at the same time period in the same imprisonment. And if you look at Ephesians chapter 5 and you look at verses 18 through 21, you see that instead of letting the word dwell in you richly, verse 18, it says be filled with the Spirit because they go together. Fed by the word, led by the Spirit. Led by the Spirit, fed by the word. But the results are the same. Look at verses 19 through 21 addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he adds this, that's not in Colossians, submitting to one another out of reverence. Now, what I have in your notes are the natural results that come when you have read the word and allowed it to dwell in your hearts what naturally comes out are these six or five things I have listed there. What naturally happens is we begin to speak to one another about the Word. When the Word's coming in, it comes out naturally. If we're not talking about the Word, you know what that reveals? It's not going in. And that's why it's not coming out. You cannot take in the word of God and let it dwell richly and feed on it and be strengthened on it and not have it come out during the week, outside of church. And then singing to the Lord, having a, a, a joy, a, a, a dance in your step in spite, of the, in, sti, in spite of stumbling, in spite of suffering. In spite of the circumstances, you know what, Lord, you're still singing in my heart through my tears. That's what happens. You know, listen, people that take the word in, sing it out here at church. If you're taking it in during the week, you're going to want to participate. You won't use the praise time as a time to read the notes in the bulletin. You won't use the praise time as an opportunity to catch up with your neighbor. You won't come in late missing the praise time. Why? Because you're taking the word in and the word comes out naturally in singing hymns, songs, and spiritual songs. And you're like, well, this is my time to express myself. That's why I love coming here, feeding on the word for an hour, and then going upstairs. What's the first thing we get to do? It's to sing. And I'm, all, I'm, I'm ready to sing it out, even having taught it out. 
And I hope you in receiving it are ready to sing it out. I mean, it, and, and, and God works that thing out. Todd's not that smart. God works this thing out to match. Isn't, it is, is amazing. Kim and I have often talked about, and she's married to him, uh, how we walk upstairs and it's like the whole set is building off of what we've taught and studied down here. That's because that's what God wants. And then to show gratitude. Being a grateful person instead of a griper and to seek to live for the fame of his name, no matter what's going on, where we're at, to submit to one another. All these things. Now, let me say two things about these five characteristics that I drew out of Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5. They're both the result of feeding on the word and they're how you also find strength in the word. So some days it won't come naturally. And so you do these things and then you find the strength. Are you with me? So these are both a natural result. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bountiful circle. It comes naturally and then, then I kind of weaken. And so then I do these things and then it comes naturally and then I weaken and then I do these things. And then thirdly, Paul led the, with the word in the church. He read, he fed, and then he led. He read, he fed, and then he led. Some of us try to lead without feeding. We lead without reading. We need to be reading, heeding, feeding, and then leading with what God is doing in our lives. Now, this is exactly how Paul ends Colossians. Turn, turn to Colossians 4. Notice what he says in verses 16 and 18. In verses 16 and 18, here's what Paul says. He says, first of all, when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see you also read the letter. He's saying, look, you got to feed on the word corporately. But then he says in verse 18, I pray this, remember my chains. He's saying, pray, remember my chains. So read the word, pray in the spirit. Do it individually, do it corporately. Now, here's how you do it. Number one, read the word or finish, follow in the footsteps of Paul, finish strong for the Lord by finding strength in the Lord and his word. And here's what you do. Read the word to heed it for yourself, to apply it, to obey it. Feed, read, to heed. Now, I've got all sorts of resources there. Now, over there on the table, don't take any of those. Those aren't for you to take. They're for you to, to uh, peruse, and then you can order. Okay? And so they're all described over there. And a couple of them have two prices. Some of them have fancy leather, uh, leather uh, true tone covers, and some of them are paperback. But they're all great books. I have them described there. You just go over there and read them, look at them, check them out, and then I'll order them, and we can order them and get them here in two days, and you can have them next Sunday. But you got to pay for them today. Now, if you don't have the money or the checkbook, then pay for them next week or come during the week. I'll get them ordered, and you'll still have them for Sunday, and they'll be ready for January 1. One that I don't have out, out there, but I have it listed. It's listed as the one-year devotional. This is what my daughter's using right now, so she has her, her uh, deep uh, learnings from God written in it and didn't want anybody to see those, including me. And so I can't lay this out, but this is a great devotional. takes you through 52 weeks, six days a week, all through the Gospels. Nothing but the Gospels, nothing but Jesus for the whole year. Uh, really thrilled that, by God's grace, she would want to read that on her own and and desiring to do that imperfectly, not 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 perfect by any means, but definitely desiring to do that. 
There's all sorts of digital resources. The, the, under digital resources, it says glenwoodconnection.org. Go to that, our site. Go to the, under ministries. Go under discipleship. At the bottom of the page, there's a link. You can go to that link. I sent it out to you this week. All sorts of resources to know, grow, show, and go are all sitting there waiting for you to use. There's one other resource I want to highlight, and it's this. It says, uh, the 90 days through the, devo- through the Bible, a devotional journey from walk through the Bible. That's not the 90-day reading plan that many of you have done, reading through the Bible. This is reading about the Bible. So it's not the Bible that you're reading. So you don't want to substitute it for your reading the Word. But it's an overview of the Bible that some of you read in 90 days. And it's an overview that you can read through in 90 days. So it would be a great start to the first three months of the year to get an overview, especially you that have read through the Bible in 90 days. You will. It, it's too bad we couldn't do them both at the same time, but that would be insanity. Uh, and so uh, you, you can check that out. Some of the digital stuff, there's all sorts of apps out there. But here's the thing. Once you read the Word to heed it, secondly, read the Word to feed it to others, and then read the word to lead with it in our church. Man, I hope that you start the new year persevering in finding your strength in the word. I say this again, those are just a portion of the resources that are available. Our country, we do not have a lack of resources. We have a lack of will and desire to do that which God has called us to do. But here's the thing. If you don't do this, I guarantee you will not finish strong. You will not fulfill your ministry, and you will waste these 14 weeks that we have went through the study of these people. They fed on the Word in spite of circumstances. So I want to do everything I can to help you. So come over there, check them out, go upstairs after church, check them out, and uh, let's persevere in the Word this year. Let's pray. Father, we ask that we would uh, finish strong like Paul, and sometimes we glamorize him and spiritualize him and, and, and idolize him when in fact all he did was feed on your word, heed it, feed it, and lead with it. Lord, help us to do that in our families, in our marriages, in our workplace, in our ministries. Bless Allie as she seeks to raise support. May she feed on God's word. Father, I thank you that Randy has fed on it so now he can draw from it. Lord, we just need you. And we need to be your people, a light in the darkness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.